today on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. I don't care how, figure out how to keep Ronnie's bat in the lineup every single day. Who's the most likely offensive lineman to not start for the Atlanta Falcons? And boy, did I find something that is 180 degrees opposite from one another in NBA coverage. All that and more, it's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery today on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Welcome to another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to YouTube.com. That way you can find us there. Put Locked On Sports Atlanta in the browser and search us and find us and subscribe to our ever-growing YouTube page. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you think. I always read through the comments that you all have uh, out there. So let us know what you think and have to say. Uh, also follow me on my personal Twitter page. That would be at JMCH316. Good night for the Braves. They found a way to get a win. They were only one for eight with runners in scoring position last night. Now, I'm just trying to think. Let's see. If you watch the game, getting a hit, knocking in a run, making things happen, stealing a bit, who could that have been? Oh, yeah, that's right. Ronnie was back in the lineup last night. So he had missed, what, five games because of the groin strain. Didn't have to go to the IL. We got good news about all of that. And as projected, if he was healthy enough, he would play against the Brewers last night, and he did. Comes up, leads off the game with a single. He got the third, didn't score, but he got the third. He's stealing bases. He's stealing bases in the eighth inning. He's doing this. He created one of the, the first run for the Braves. It was an error on the third baseman, but guy had to try to make a play, and he couldn't on a ball. And all I can tell you is when Ronnie's in the game, it's chaos for the other team. And so this is my new mantra. I don't care how, I don't care if Ronnie has to DH every game the rest of the year. You have to put his bat in that lineup every night. If that means that Marcelo Zuna plays 140 games out in left field, and I have to put Demerit and Arcia and every vagabond outfielder in the world out in right field, just to keep Ronnie's bat in the lineup, that's what I'll do. And this is where it's going to get interesting because, first off, let's look at today. Today's getaway day for the Braves. So it's a 110 start for the Braves. So is Ronnie going to play an afternoon game right after a night game after missing five games over six days? I'll be curious. But listen, he can DH. And if that's what his role has to be. I understand how valuable he is as a fielder and how much better he makes your outfield defense. Can I tell you, though, I'm not sacrificing his bat to keep him out in the field, say, three out of every four games. At this point, he showed you last night that with the chaos that he creates for the other team's pitching staff, the pressure that he puts on the other team's defense, the fact that he finds a way to take extra bases and put himself either in scoring position or at third multitudes of times is his value to stand up in the batter's box and take four hacks at it is way more valuable than anything else that can go on. 
And if that means, and I understand, I'm being a little over the top with all this, but I want to stress the point that I thought when he got hurt, I thought leading into this, you know, getting back in and recovering all this kind of stuff, I thought they could have DH'd him a little bit more to keep him active, but also not stress him out in the field. Because I really do believe that the groin injury came from the aggressiveness that he had to be out in the field. Again, go back and watch that Boston game, running over toward the foul line and had to make a big catch over there, running back toward the wall to make a big catch. You know, he plays, again, an aggressive defensive style of baseball. I'm not going to say reckless because – that's, again, guys diving all over the place when they don't have to and things like that or running into walls and stuff like that that they don't have to. But he plays an aggressive style of defense. And if I have to slow that down to make sure that he can be aggressive in the batter's box and stay in the batter's box, and then I'll let him be my stallion when he gets on the bases. I mean, he steals more bases than their team combined at this point. And he's always finding a way to take an extra base. The Mother's Day bloop uh, double from Olsen, and he scores. Last night, tagging up on a play to get an extra base and put them in. Now, look, the Braves offense has got to figure out some things. And thank God, you know, at least Azuna, you know, had a home run last night and had a hit with a guy in scoring position. But they were, again, like one for eight with runners in scoring position. So that's a them problem. That That's an Olsen, Ozuna, Riley, Duvall, Dansby, you know, that that Albies, that's a, all of them thing that they have to figure out. But boy, you can just watch this team and this lineup when Ronnie is in there and he's on the base pass and how it changes up how teams, you know, are on their heels defensively and the chaos that it creates and just pitchers being distracted. There's just so many things that Ronnie provides to this offense that you can't sit him. And I mean this, if that, if, if I have to play, if my options are to play Marcelo Zuna, 140 games in left field, and I've got Arcia and Demerit and Heredia and whatever cavalcade of ham and eggers out there in right field, just to make sure Ronnie's bat is in the lineup every day, brother, that's what I got to do. And that's called managing. I mean, that, that, that's, that's putting out because the Braves are an offensive team. The, the Braves are built as an offensive team. They have as deep a lineup as anybody in the game. They do two things typically really well. They have a deep lineup and they play, you know, usually really good defense, especially infield defense. They're a really good defensive team on the infield. You saw that on display last night. They made play after play after play after play. But if I have to sacrifice for the good of what my team is, it's going to be Ronnie not playing as much in the outfield until I feel like if that means for a month or two, if I have to just hold him back a little bit defensively, play him here, play him there, but I don't play him any consistency whatsoever. And I'm telling you, even though it's an afternoon game after night game, and even though he's just coming back from injury, I'm going to DH him again today. Unless he tells me that he can't step in the batter's box and give me four cuts at it, then I'm not going to play. Short of that, I, I'm, I'm going to write his name in that lineup every day at the top of the order. And I'm going to, you know, figure out what position it might say RF. I might have D H in there. I don't care. 
but you have to keep him in this lineup. And he shows you time and time again, it is a dramatic difference when he's out there and the havoc that he creates. So listen, you can get frustrated and be upset about Marcelo Zuna playing left field and how bad he is. Who cares? If that's what I have to do to make sure that Ronnie's bat is in the lineup every day, day in and day out, I promise you, you'll feel better by the end result and the Braves actually winning some games. All right, when we get back, which of the Falcons, shall I say, poor offensive linemen is most in jeopardy of not starting this season? We'll talk about that next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Head over to YouTube.com. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's Locked On Sports Atlanta. Put that in the browser. You'll find us very easily. Hit the subscribe button. Really appreciate the, the growing community that we have. We're headed toward 1,300 subscribers, so we really appreciate how quickly you've uh, been a part of this growing audience. And, of course, head over to my Twitter page at JMCH316. We talked last week about the um, poor evaluations of the Falcons offensive line based upon pass grades, right? Out of 160 offensive linemen starting in the NFL, the Falcons were at 152 with McGarry, 155 with Hennessy, and 160 with Jalen Mayfield. Not good. And that is going to be an issue and a problem going in. Now, which of those offensive, of those three guys especially, which of those three guys is most likely to not start this year? Believe it or not, I think it's going to be Caleb McGarry. I think Caleb McGarry is on the biggest hot seat. And I think there's a couple things. One is you didn't pick up his fifth, well, the Falcons, I should say, didn't pick up his fifth-year option and decide to keep him. So he is in the final year of his contract. And this is sort of a make-or-break year, if you will, for Caleb McGarry. Again, I'm sure a team will pick him up. Hell, somebody grabbed Wes Schweitzer and started him after he left the Falcons. So somebody will roll the dice on a guy who was a former first-round pick, just like Jermaine Effetti and guys like that. But speaking of Effetti, I think when you look at the idea of they have Jermaine Effetti Mayfield himself was a right tackle in college. Now, I don't know how much of an upgrade he is, and I don't know how well he adjusts to, you know, going back to what he played in college because, you know, again, guard should not be as difficult as tackle in the NFL, but we saw how bad it was for Jalen Mayfield switching positions and this, that, and the other. But I do think that there are enough backup plans that you could either potentially see a Fetty start out there who might be a slight upgrade. I don't know that, you know, Jermaine Fetty is another guy, first round pick. He's on his third team in seven years or something like that. I don't know how much of an upgrade that he is, but he is a little bit better pass blocking right tackle. He grades out a little bit better than uh, McGarry does. And if you think that, honestly, like I keep saying, I, I can't start Mayfield and Hennessy side-by-side. Side. So maybe the plan is throw Mayfield out on the right tackle spot because I still think that they believe in him and they want to continue to give him a shot and then figure out left guard. You know, if you look at some of the Falcons depth chart right now and some of the guys that that they, you know, have out there, it's, it's not a lot of great names. You know, Elijah Wilkerson is a guy who could kind of play guard and tackle. They obviously drafted Justin Schaefer, um, maybe they give him a, a, a shot to do it. You could probably kick a Fetty inside. I think that there are guys that you could find on this roster now that you could feel like, okay, we could probably live with 
a left guard out there if we want to move Mayfield and keep him out there. Now, the center spot, I know people are going to talk about the idea of Drew Dahlman. Can I tell you, I, I, I'm I, not a believer at all in Drew Dahlman. He profiles out the same thing as, as uh, Hennessy does. He's another undersized guy. I know he's a cerebral guy and you know academic All-American. I get all that. And pedigree in the NFL, I get all that. But he's another undersized guy. You saw that when he had a chance to play. That he's another guy who's going to get pushed back on his hind end. Well, first off, you know, his ability to snap the football looked pretty awful last year when he did play, but he's another undersized guy. I don't think there's much of a difference between Hennessy and Dolman. And, you know, Hennessy was picked around higher than, than what Dolman was. So I don't believe in that competition at all. I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm not sold on Matt Hennessy. I'm not sold on Drew Dolman. I'm sold on the idea of either going and drafting a center next year or go find a free agent like they did with Alex Mack and go upgrade that, but can't do anything about that for this year. So I'm not sold on that Hennessy is likely to be replaced because I don't think Dolman profiles out as well. But I think that, and I don't think they're going to bench Mayfield either. I don't I don't think that, I, I, I think they're, it, I think after last year, they're invested in the idea of we're going to fix Jalen Mayfield, that he can't be worse than what he was this past season. And, and I think that's where their mindset is right now of we're going to fix him and figure it out. McGarry, they're not tied to him at all. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option. They didn't draft him. They don't have much invested in him. So I would tell you that, honestly, whether it's moving Mayfield back or a Fetty, I think somebody's going to take that right tackle spot. And I don't know what they're going to do with McGarry because, you know, they could cut him, I guess, but I'd have to look at the money and tell you if that makes sense or not. But – I think McGarry's the guy who's in the most trouble. I think they feel like that they can get by with Hennessy and he's their best option for now. And between a Fetty or moving Mayfield back there, that they will feel like that they've upgraded at right tackle. And then whether it's moving a Fetty inside the guard or Wilkerson, or whatever, you know, their, their vagabond of, you know, their cavalcade of interior line misfits or whatever that they have out there that they'll just plug left guard and hope that Hennessy gets better. They know what they know what they have in Jake Matthews. Obviously we know we have in Chris Lindstrom. Now, again, let me say none of these make me feel much better. None of these options right now make me feel better. And that's why I get frustrated about, man, you know, you mean to tell me in the last two years we could have had Panay Sewell and Charles Cross that we could have had one or both of those guys in the last two years instead of unicorns and injured wide receivers and all that stuff that we decided to go with? Okay. See, again, I'm about fixing things in the NFL and especially your line of scrimmage. And that's why you'll hear me get frustrated on here and on my radio show and Twitter and everywhere else. Because when you have a chance to fix something in the league that's important, like, I don't know, let's throw out offensive line as a place to fix. Could have had Panay Sewell. If I'd have drafted Panay Sewell last year, this would have been my plan. This is what I would have done. Draft Panay Sewell. He plays right tackle. Jake plays left tackle. Lindstrom at right guard. Hennessy at center. And I move McGarry inside to take advantage of his strength and his ability to move people around. The thing McGarry is good at is if he locks you up, he can move you around, okay? So I'd have Sewell at right, right guards Lindstrom, Hennessy at center, McGarry at left guard, Matthews at tackle. 
Then I have two years. I won't pick up McGarry's fifth-year option, but I would have had two years to evaluate, can McGarry play left guard in the NFL? Just like tackles have converted a guard in the history of the league. Remember Tony, remember Tony Mandarich? Remember him, the one of the highest, you know, most celebrated draft picks in the history of the league? Okay, he actually became a pretty good guard when he moved inside. Remember Robert Gallery out of Iowa, left tackle, never gave up a sack in college, all-world, one of the top offensive line prospects we've seen, was no good at left tackle, moved inside for, the, I believe it was the Raiders, and actually became a pretty good guard. So there's been multiple instances where guys have been tackles in their life and moved inside because, you know, the, the old joke is, What's a guard in the NFL? That's a guy who can't play tackle. What's a center in the NFL? That's a guy who can't play guard in the NFL. So guys move inside all the time. You know, Jake's dad moved inside three times, I mean, and was a pro bowler at, at every position. So guys do it. But I think McGarry is the guy who's in trouble right now. I think if you look at where we are with this offensive line, I think McGarry has the biggest competition right now. And I'm, again, I'm not even saying that they'll start Mayfield and, and Hennessy together, but it could very well be that Mayfield moves outside and they'll plug in Wilkerson or somebody like that at the left guard spot and sort of roll the dice and see what they get away with for a year or two. So not great options, but it is what it is. And I think Caleb McGarry's days are numbered here in Atlanta. All right. When we get back, um, something really stood out about the coverage from the Eastern conference finals last night after what I watched just even one night before. I'll explain what all that means. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back with you on Hitting Hard on Locked On Sports Atlanta. John Chuckery with you, and we're asking you to head over to YouTube.com. Put Locked On Sports Atlanta into the browser. Search us out. Leave us a comment. Subscribe to the channel. Give us your thoughts about what we are talking about here today. And, of course, follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Last night, the Eastern Conference Finals got underway, Miami and the Celtics. And we're not going to talk about the game, but there was something that stood out. So now tonight, the Western Conference Finals gets going. So you've got the Eastern Conference Finals with Stephen A. Smith, Jalen Rose, and Mike Greenberg. Okay. Tonight, TNT, Western Conference Finals. I've got Ernie, I've got Shaq, I've got Kenny, and I've got Charles. ESPN, Stephen A., Greenberg, Rose. TNT, Ernie, Shaq, Charles, Kenny. Hmm, one of these is not like the other. Can I tell you that the difference in the coverage, and I don't know where there's another example of this, whether NFL, Major League, baseball, hockey, college football. I don't know that there's a bigger disparity between two networks putting on the same product and having either the single most dreadful to watch pre-post and halftime show or pure gold. I'm listening last night just to halftime and some stuff in between commercial breaks and stuff on my radio show, and that show is awful. Stephen A., Jalen Rose, and Greenberg. First off, Greenberg is there because he's been so bad at everything else that they've asked him to do that they've paid him so much money 
that they literally have to just find stuff for him to do. So he was on that show to get started that get woke. That's the biggest piece. Michelle Beadle, Greenberg, and Janos. That was the biggest piece of garbage, trash train wreck of a show laying on top of a plane that got crashed into the ground that I've ever seen in my entire life. It's awful. It's dreadful. It's It makes my skin crawl thinking about it. I wouldn't watch that show if it was in my cul-de-sac and they broadcasted there and paid me fees and rights and gave me half a Greenberg salary. I still wouldn't watch that show. And then he wanted to do, he wanted to get away from my Golic and do another radio show and blah, blah. And that failed miserably. So they gave him all these millions of dollars of money to do this stuff that they had all these projects for Greenberg. He failed in them all. So now they don't want to get rid of him. They got to pay him. So let's go stick him on the NFL draft. Now we've got him on NBA coverage. And it's awful, awful. It's dreadful to watch those guys. And guess what I'm going to get tonight? I'm going to get on the Western Conference Finals, far and away, the best pre-post halftime show that's ever been done in the history of organized sports. You can't be better than Shaq, Kenny, Ernie, and Charles. And those guys are money. They're always entertaining. They inform. They're not afraid to go after one another because they were all high-level players. And Ernie, for God's sakes, Ernie is the master at, you talk about the ultimate point guard, he's the master of keeping that show just enough on the rails to get it going in the direction that it wants. He's the best. He's an amazing studio host. You, You couldn't put a better guy in there. As great as those other three guys are, if you put somebody like, Greenberg in the middle of it, there'd be people putting a gun to their head, loaded gun to their head, wanting to kill themselves listening to him. You have to have the right mix of all of it. And I I don't know. I mean, without coming off the top of my head of, you know, the, the difference between ESPN, Fox, and whatever else is Major League Baseball, or the difference between Fox and CBS and ESPN NFL coverage. I don't know that there's enough of a difference between those two, but brother, the gap that's between the ESPN dregs of the universe product that they put out there for what they call a pre post and halftime show and what those guys at TNT put on. It it doesn't even, it doesn't even feel like the same sport is being covered. So I'm very much looking as much as I'm looking forward to the games themselves. Cause I think they're two very good and very intriguing series. And last night was a very intriguing Western or Eastern conference finals. Miami wins back in, you know, Boston controlled that game early. Couldn't miss a shot. Miami clamped down. They made a big run, got a big lead. Then Boston got, the, you know, it was back and forth. And then Miami finally took control and won that thing. And this series starting tonight. Luca versus Steph, and here's these guys, and we got this and that going on, and the Mavericks are now the hot franchise, and are the are the uh, Warriors back to championship? All the great storylines. But I know that when I watch, and 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 I promise you, I'm going to do everything to watch as much of the pre 
half and post-game show of that Western Conference Finals because it's going to be pure gold. It's going to give me the information I need. Those guys are going to entertain the ever-living daylights out of me. And I know Ernie's going to be the best that there is to navigate the waters through all of that. So, you know, again, I understand that ESPN is never going to just arbitrarily create a show that's as good. And, you know, again, that TNT broadcast is the best that's that's ever come along. I, I, I've said the only the only two studio shows that I think are truly great was the TNT is the TNT broadcast and then the old pro, NFL primetime Sunday night on ESPN when it was just Chris Berman and Tom Jackson, not this cavalcade of all these different people popping in and out and on the panel and this, that Nope. It was seven to nine on Sunday before there was Sunday night football. There was no other game to be played until Monday night. So you could recap all the games that were played. You'd have everything caught up for the week other than the Monday night game coming up. And it was just Berman and Tom Jackson breaking it down and having fun. That was, that's when Berman was halfway tolerable, I guess maybe is the best way to describe it. But that was, that to me was the best, you know, show ESPN has ever done. But these two, these two programs covering the exact same sport. I mean, brother, like I, it, it is, it is night and day. One, one is complete amateur hour and the other is just as good as it gets. And look, those guys all play. Like I said, they're all high-level guys. Shaq is obviously a champion. Kenny's a champion. Barkley's one of the great players in the history of the league. And I saw a report recently that said that the one guy on um, broadcasts that people actually tune in to watch is Charles Barkley. And I can understand why. He's a bigger-than-life personality who... I've talked to Charles multiples of times. I don't want to say he doesn't care, but he doesn't care what people think. He doesn't do social media. He doesn't get mixed up in all that kind of stuff. They know what their roles are on there. That ESPN thing with Greenberg and Stephen A and Jalen Rose, like that, if that's all the better that the four-letter network can come up with to come up with their NBA coverage, they should sell the rights to TNT and just let TNT broadcast all the games because it's not even comparable between those two things. It's not even watchable what they're putting on ESPN. So uh, again, I'll say really quickly, I think the Celtics still win the series in seven games. I'm going to take golden state in six games in the Western conference finals, but that all gets cranked up uh, tonight and um, won't be long before we're into uh, the NBA off season. So we can really talk about what's got to go on with the Atlanta Hawks and everything. All right. We thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thanks for making hitting hard with John check your first listen. Don't forget, make your second listen a to Z with Mark Zeno. He is back and doing uh, a podcast here as part of our Locked On Sports Atlanta network. Check out his show daily, Monday through Friday. Uh, it's free and available on YouTube, just like this show. And it's free on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Check it out, A to Z with Mark Zeno. We will be back tomorrow. Follow me on my Twitter page, at JMSH316. It's been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. <laughs>